everybody wants data. Mm -hmm. I want data. I want trends. I want all this. But they tend to forget that there's a lot of code that has to be written. There's a lot of smart devices that have to be put in place that you can actually pull the correct data that you want and do something with it. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, hey, it's episode 162. Today, we're exploring how data and automation are shaping the future of the bourbon industry. Our guests this week are Don Alt and Scott Feldmeyer, co-founders of Opus Integration, a systems integration company located outside of Louisville, Kentucky, who also happen to have a lot of specialization in the bourbon industry. This episode is really an exploration in modern bourbon manufacturing, so here are three things you can expect from today's show. First, we're going to hear the backstory of Opus Integration and bourbon making in Kentucky. If you've ever been curious about why Kentucky became the bourbon hub that it is today, you're about to hear why. Second, these guys know automation. We talk about data collection. We talk about IT and OT, operations technology, their convergence. Maybe most importantly, we talk about getting buy-in on automation and new technology, from the distillery floor to data scientists and beyond. I'll say this up front, Don and Scott are heavy Rockwell Automation users. I think our technical audience is going to really love some of the dialogue in this episode, but whether you're an automation expert or not, you'll be able to follow along. Just know that you'll hear a few terms like Vantage Point, Logics, or Rockwell's Plant PAX Process Automation Platform get mentioned throughout the episode. Finally, toward the end of the interview, a little past like the 25-minute mark, we have an excellent conversation about partnerships and co-founder dynamics. It probably won't come as a surprise that Don and Scott, as co-founders, have quite the rapport with one another. You'll hear that throughout the interview. We have a bit of fun towards the end, so definitely stick with us. Before we dive in, if you're a regular listener, you might have already figured this out, but this is the second interview in our special three-part series we're doing in partnership with ISN, the Industrial Solutions Network. Our new Made Here City series is making its first stop in Louisville, Kentucky, where we're not only highlighting some key folks in the region's manufacturing scene, but exploring what manufacturing means to that community, that economy, and the local culture. You'll actually hear us discuss some of that as well in today's conversation. Plus, Made Here is more than just these podcast episodes. It's factory tour videos. It's a visual exploration of the city. We have additional content and videos that you'll want to check out by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com ISN. The videos we made in Louisville have like this how it's made vibe. And yes, you'll hear me reference this in the conversation, but we are taking an industrial distillery tour as part of this series. Lots of exciting content ahead. Thank you again to the Industrial Solutions Network for making this possible. Don't forget to visit them and follow everything from this series over at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash ISN. As always, if you want to learn more, we do have a show notes page as well, manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 162. And with that, let's get rolling. We've got a very cool venue for this week's episode. We actually had a small audience from the Industrial Solutions Network and their local branch watching this episode get recorded. We're going to tell you more about this setting here in a second. But right now, it's time to grab a drink with Scott Feldmeyer and Don Alt. 
Hey, Don, Scott, cheers, first of all. This is the way that manufacturing happy hour is meant to be done. <laughs> Over a couple bourbons in the land of bourbon. We're here at Watch Hill proper in the Louisville area. The first question is, when you're sipping on bourbon with someone, how do you describe what Opus does? Don, let's start with you, and I want to hear your question, your answer next, Scott. Well, how does Opus do bourbon with, within Kentucky? Uh, that's an interesting question. Uh, actually, our, our system integrator, as a system integrator, rather, we worked with the distributor, and the distributor kind of got us introduced to a bourbon account. Started out just looking at uh, a simple little thing. Uh, I think it was Vantage Point. Uh, yeah saying, hey, we need a report to take a look at what we're doing batching-wise to turn over to management. And can you do help us with something like that? And so that's how we got introduced to bourbon initially. And then the next thread that got tugged on is, do you know anything about this plant PAX stuff? Mm -hmm. And that was the next uh, introduction to it. And that's really kind of how we got started within the bourbon industry. Scott, what about yourself? The way I typically describe it to most people, because my wife would always try to say, my husband works in robotics. Yeah, R2D2, C3PO. No, that's when I worked in the automotive. When I talk about sure. Opus, I generally liken it to playing with big boy toys and getting paid for it. I like because it. Because we've, we've got a very, if I'm describing Opus as a company, it's a very family-driven environment. We we really cherish our employees. We wanted that wanted a place where we could, we're, we're getting older. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to be able to bring young guys in and teach them kind of some of the things we know, a lot of things that we wish we didn't know because we made mistakes in the past and create a company where we can we can go and do some really cool things, but have a lot of fun doing it at the same time. And we're going to get into both the dynamics of your company. We're going to talk about technology and how it impacts bourbon making as we get further into this interview. But first, you know, we got to do a little, let's say, bourbon 101 for the casual listener that might not know as much about the bourbon space. So let's do a little history. You know, how did Kentucky become the bourbon capital that it is today? Don, you look like you want this Wow. Well, uh, now you're going to challenge my history and knowledge. Um, so bourbon just naturally came to this area. A lot of uh, the culture of the area was was very much from Europe. And then so the um, alcohol was always kind of an important thing to them society-wise. Um, and then the local resources here, I mean, uh, bourbon consists of a lot of grain. So we're in an area where, you know, corn is readily available, wheat barley, rye, those kind of things are, are fairly close by. And so those are all kind of the primary ingredients of bourbon, you know, mm -hmm. and it all starts with that. And um, just naturally that that kind of formulated around this particular area of the country. Yeah, it's, I find it interesting that you have the cultural aspects, you have Irish and Scottish immigrants, you have geographic aspect, you got the limestone and how that impacts the water, just everything kind of coming together here in Kentucky. I'm interested, Scott, you, I'd like you to lead this one off because I'm interested to know what does the bourbon industry mean to Louisville and the greater you know, state of Kentucky today? Because I was reading before this, bourbon production has jumped 435%, I think it's mm -hmm. the amount since like 1999. So it's continually on the rise. So what does it mean to this region? I think you can start that off. When I first moved to Kentucky, I had no idea that there were more barrels of bourbon in Kentucky than there were people. Mm -hmm. So that kind of gives you the importance how much bourbon is. But as far as um, economic impact, just the number of companies, the number of startup companies that we're, we're hearing about people investing in bourbon, then you get into the, out of the economic impact, you get into just the social impact. I mean, this place, there are places like this, there are, there are basements people have 
yeah. like this that you know it's mm-hmm. it's a part of it. I mean, it can be furniture, it can be wall decorations, barrel heads. It's it's just a part of life, kind of you know, like the the Kentucky Derby. Mm-hmm. I won't mention the basketball team in Lexington, but there, there's a, there are a lot of things here that you know it's just a part of life. Yeah, yeah. And, and from an income standpoint, I mean, bourbon is the the economic driver as far as the the, the state taxes. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's one of the leading contributors to to the the Commonwealth of Kentucky as far as their budget goes is the income off of uh, bourbon residuals. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you both bring up great points, Scott. Something I want to talk about that you brought up is I don't think we gave enough justice to the spot where we're hanging out yet because yes. for people listening to this audio podcast that can't see the video <laughs> right now, I mean, we are in a very regal looking bourbon tasting room or a specific room here called the library like it is yes. like like you said people design their basements around this yes. stuff mm-hmm. so very nice facility what one thing i want to ask is this is kind of a juxtaposition to where we were this morning we were at the heaven hill plant right outside of downtown louisville and the reality is i think a lot of people when they see bourbon manufacturing they see the nice copper distillation columns um, that they have at like a showroom facility yeah. and things like that. But we got to see real big industrial bourbon production. So Don, you were leading our tour there essentially this morning. Uh, you know, can you give us a two minute verbal distillery tour just to kind of recap what we saw? <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, so, I mean, all the, the distilleries work the same way. You start off with a grain receiving. Uh, so we walk through the grain receiving area uh, into the, uh, silo storage for that material. Um, eventually, that goes and gets ground up into a meal. Uh, so it's a really a finer particle uh, that gets introduced along with uh, water and then set back, which is uh, from the previous uh, mashing operations. Uh, they bring that set back in and, and they batch that together. From batching, it goes to fermentation, where it will set for anywhere from three to seven days and formulate beer, mm-hmm. uh, just like a, a normal beer would be formulated, which I think. It was a little bit longer in that fermentation process. After that period of time, it's it's good enough to go ahead and start extracting the alcohol. And so they run that through a distillation column. Um, after it's been through a distillation, that's where we get our good product out of. And then another big stream of that, as we looked at today too, was the byproducts and and what happens with with that. So that goes off to become eventually like a farm material or an animal feed in most cases. Yeah, that was one of the aspects that I found really interesting just looking at and the word we used during that time was sustainability. When you talk about sustainable manufacturing, you're literally taking the parts that aren't going to be used in the finished bourbon product, and you're sending those to become dog food and livestock feed and things like that. Like that's mm-hmm. that's what I think of when I think of sustainability. You're taking parts that otherwise would get is discarded, and you're putting them into another use, another industry, whatever that may be. Mm-hmm. So, yep. my next question is a follow up on that one: is obviously the way you make bourbon, that process has been the same for decades, for centuries, but there's a lot of modern technology that has made things different over the years. So maybe Scott, you can lead this one off. I'm curious, in the amount of time you've been in the field, how have you seen bourbon making evolve? One of the ways is just whenever we were on the tour, we were talking and you noticed, like we we said there, that plant's been around since what, the 90s? It's been around for a really long time. It's been around so some of those, yeah, some of those processes have been around since the '90s, and just the way they move things around manually, mm-hmm. you know, and evolving now to where you know the distilleries that we're working on currently, it, everything is is automated. The valves are automated, the paths, you know, the the data collection side of it is is a piece I think we're starting to see evolve, and it's going to evolve even more because 
people once once you start getting that data in your production facility, mm-hmm. then you know it, it just leads to the next piece of data that you need and the next piece of data, and that's something we've kind of you know bourbon is distillation something we're really heavy in right now, but the OT data collection side is something we've done for years and. Yeah, really looking forward to, to diving into that with some of these companies. Yeah. Don, I mean, in your mind, what characterizes the modern distillery? Data is definitely going to be a topic we touch on a bit more here. It is. And laying down that that infrastructure that's required for all that, uh, not just now, but kind of future-proofing ourselves a little bit for, for what's to come. You know, we're in the middle of the Industry 4.0 um, revolution of uh, manufacturing. Um, and so being able to prepare for that next layer. So again, it's it's laying down that IT, OT infrastructure and, and the communications there between those two systems, uh, making sure that we're going to be built for speed and, and bandwidth to be able to, to move that data as it gets required, uh, all while keeping the facility running. So, you know, sometimes it's a battle of, of educating IT folks that kind of mm-hmm. very much looks like their own infrastructure as to how it's really different on the OT side of things. We'll be back in a moment, but first, a quick word from our sponsor. Are you looking for some manufacturing entertainment? Then you need to check out 3M's Clash of the Grinders Student Edition Competition, which you can do today by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 3M. This web series pits soon-to-be pros against each other in a showcase of the next generation of skilled trades talent, and it all culminates with the winner receiving a $10,000 scholarship sponsored by Fanuc. Throughout the series, you'll see the competition, manufacturing trends these emerging leaders will face in their careers, and how new innovations will help them work more efficiently and sustainably. 3M is committed to skilled trades education with a goal of creating 5 million STEM and skilled trade learning experiences, and this is part of that mission. Make sure to subscribe to 3M Abrasives on YouTube so that you don't miss a single new episode of Clash of the Grinders Student Edition. Again, manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 3M will take you right there. And now, back to today's episode. I want to dig into that a little bit more because we talk about ITOT a lot in any manufacturing industry, right? Mm-hmm. But you actually, you're out there talking to both parties when you're doing your projects, whether it's a greenfield, whatever it may be. How are you getting those type of people together to make it a proper conversation to make sure that, you know, because I mean, at the end of the day, if you can avoid any of that finger pointing between mm-hmm. operations folks, as yeah. well as the IT team, I'd love to hear how you're making that possible. Because that's, I think... That's something manufacturers struggle with in any, any industry. When you're trying to evolve, how do you get the right people? Yeah. To and that's to? one thing I'll brag on him before I give him a hard time later. <laughs> but I will brag on him because he can speak that IT speak. I've been in controls for a long time. I don't mm-hmm. I don't speak it very well. Mm-hmm. You know, I always tease him about, you know, you, need, you just need a hub big enough to bring all the data in. <laughs> yeah. And then everything's fine. But he, he does a really good job of understanding both sides of it. And bringing bringing those two groups together, being able to go in and talk to the IT guys, and understand how our system is going to tie into theirs, while still keeping the the interests of the operation side in check. And it's it's a lot like herding cats. I mean, mm-hmm. these guys are all over the board. So uh, while the facility we were in today has a really strong IT team that has a 
a really good desire to uh, dig in and understand the OT side. Mm-hmm. On the flip side of that, other distillers you work at too, their IT team is kind of like, eh, I don't want to touch it. I just want to ignore it and, mm-hmm. and pretend it's not there. Um, so you get the two extremes. You know, the common factor though is just education. You know, what does this uh, OT infrastructure look like? How is it different from IT? Why is it important to uh, segment them and have a good firewall infrastructure between the two, even though we're going to be passing data back and across that, that platform? You know, the days of, of having a detached operations, uh, a network um, of operation equipment, mm-hmm. equipment uh, setting off to the side, and not being able to connect to the enterprise or even out to uh, the internet itself, those, those days are gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we have to do that because we our systems need to have updates. We need to, you know, uh, apply a patch. We need to make sure that Microsoft's all happy with what we're doing. So mm-hmm. it's not as static as what it once was with, with the older um, kind of software and, and architecture mm-hmm. that was in place. Yeah. I have a question around a comment you made about the industry 4.0 era that we're in right now. And you're working on a couple, as I understand it, ground up distilleries right now. So how do you build in intelligence and how do you build in the ability to leverage all this data that comes from the process (laughs) from the beginning? Because there are obviously a lot of people out there that are trying to figure out, okay, I've got a legacy factory. How do I work Mm -hmm. this in? But I think you could probably share some great advice from the perspective of, hey, this is how you plan to make sure you're getting the right type of information, data, creating, let's say, a smart distillery from the get-go. What mm-hmm. advice would you have on that? Don, maybe we'll start with you on this one. Bandwidth, bandwidth, bandwidth. <laughs> um, you know, it wasn't that long ago when we, as an industry, moved from 10 megabits to 100 megabit uh, type network for a lot of our devices out there. Mm-hmm. Um, throw in equipment that, um, you know, throw in a backbone that's got 25 uh, gigabit communications capabilities. Are we there yet? No. Uh, you know, one gig is, is really good. So that's going to be your your base level. But I mean, keep in mind, you're talking to servers and sometimes that architecture is redundant. So that bandwidth for them to communicate uh, amongst each other and eventually having that uh, there for a data collection is going to become really, really important in the future. Follow-up question for you. Something that I thought was interesting when we were at Heaven Hill this morning, our escort, who's literally out there, on the operations floor was talking about how he wants more automation, right? And I think there's maybe this misnomer that people on the plant floor don't always want that. They don't want change. They don't, you know, they want to do things the way they've always done, but we got quite the opposite response out there. Yeah. uh, Josh is one of those unique individuals and even Heaven Hill um, itself is, is really a unique company. They're, they're very, very forward thinking about hey, we're going to have a data-driven uh, facility. They're, they're committed to a, mm-hmm. a complete digital transformation um, at the process level. And, and so being able to kind of understand what that means for them right right now, you know, it, in some cases it's trying to explain to what kind of a smartphone do you want to a caveman? We didn't mm-hmm. even have an idea what a, a cell phone is or a smartphone is. But these folks have really kind of dug in and got their hands dirty and understanding the technology a little bit. And and so the biggest thing, again, is educate, you know, get them off to some of the trainings with you. Um, mm-hmm. so we can learn together. Their IT team has been uh, really good about uh, going out to an automation fair and kind of learning what, mm-hmm. what does this mean and how does it piece in with our facility? Mm-hmm. And they're taking a very broader approach at it in, hey, it's not just this distillery that we have. We might have a couple different distilleries or a couple different manufacturing facilities we want to pull together and roll up to that 
corporate executive level to be able to make some decisions and, and view our, our KPIs and our metrics at, at that layer. So pun intended, let's distill this knowledge into a couple <laughs> actions for the manufacturing audience out there. You've been talking about the importance of education a lot, Don. So for the manufacturing executives, the leaders listening to this podcast, what would be your advice for getting people comfortable with, let's say, these industry four technologies, these data-driven technologies? What would be your advice for executives that want to get their teams involved? And what would be your advice for people that are on the factory floor to get involved? And feel free to take whichever one you're more comfortable with first. I'll address the, the the factory floor side. I mean, from an executive side, there's there's a lot of that they can look into. But um, one thing that gets overlooked a lot is the the devices that you mm-hmm. use, the the code that goes in. Everybody wants data. You know, mm-hmm. I want data. I want trends. I want all this. But they tend to forget that there's a lot of code that has to be written. There's a lot of devices that have to be put in place, smart devices mm-hmm. that have to be put in place that you can actually pull the data from, you know, the correct data that you want mm-hmm. and do something with it. Because a lot of people want, they, they want, the executives want the, the pie in the sky. They want the, the trends, the graphs, you know, the, the reports, but none of that happens without having, you know, your guys truly understand this needs to be, this type of flow meter, this type of a device here or there, getting all the right information in the right places before, you know, that OT layer can push it up. Don, what would you add to that? So it's really, like Scott said, it's important to kind of hit it really from all layers. You can't just take an executive person and drive this process. You're going to have to get the maintenance technicians. You're going to have to get some operators involved in that. You're going to have to have Mm -hmm. kind of the management team involved in that. So they really understand it at what different layers this happens. You know, as we bring in and teach young engineers of, you know, it's not the old days of where you go in and just simply design IO networks and you got a PLC and wow, call it good. You know, at this point in time, we're designing that, you know, what does that network layer look like? What does Mm -hmm. the um, hardware architectural layer look like? And it eventually, you know, all this mounds up into being, okay, what information can we now pass uh, mm-hmm. back to the uh, the data scientists that are actually getting in and get their hands dirty with the numbers? The other thing that kind of adds that too is Plant PX is really um, it's a tool that we use heavily, uh, mm-hmm. especially in the distillery industry. And the nice thing about those libraries is they're very very rich in whatever kind of statistic or or data point that you may want to capture. You know how many times did a valve fail in the last mm-hmm. couple of weeks? versus the last couple months. And it helps you become not even a reactive kind of maintenance, but a proactive kind of maintenance of, hey, what's the cycle time on, mm-hmm. on this valve? How many hours is this motor ran before mm-hmm. I visited? So this really kind of rolls up into a really very, very powerful uh, technology forum. I was gonna say, you wrapped some other answers in there in terms of you know from a maintenance team being more proactive rather than reactive i like what you mentioned about plant pax another area i want to dig into a bit more scott that you brought up is hey when you have all the smart devices out there right Mm -hmm. this might seem like 101 stuff for you guys because you deal with it every day but what is an example of like a smart device in bourbon manufacturing right because at the end of the day we throw terms like smart manufacturing and industry 4.0 around all the time but i think we can do a better job of sharing, this is what it actually looks like, right? And it mm-hmm. comes to a smart device that's feeding that in to a bigger system where, like you both talked about, where executives can make decisions. So can yeah. you give us an example of one at, of those at devices? As a basic level, it would be just the, the simple, does this need to be a discrete device? Does this need to be analog? You know, mm-hmm. what, what kind of information am I looking for? 
it can go all the way to, you know, we want to put heart communications on mm-hmm. so we can actually tell if the, if the devices are, are healthy. Is this the type of device that is going to give us the information from this tank? That's where you get somebody like Josh who's looking at this and going, when I have the right devices in place, the programming is correct and it's, it's data rich, he can get so much more out of it. It makes his job easier. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's not looking at it as a threat to take over. Now, oh, they're not going to need me anymore. He's looking at it as, oh, this, this makes my job easier. I, I can be much more effective in my yeah. day-to-day operations. Last, last question kind of on the technical side of this conversation. What has been the most game-changing piece of automation or information technology that you've seen in the past five years, 10 years, whatever it may be for the bourbon industry? I would have to immediately go through and say it's Plant PA actually. Yeah, okay. Having that pre-built library for them, it, and Plant PAX solved so many different problems. I mean, things that would have taken us hours and hours to build in the past, and and each one of those would have looked a little bit different at, at each place that we go to. And and having kind of that unified library that we can go to has really been a game changer. Yeah. And and being on the programming side. You initially have those thoughts, kind of like you were talking about with the operators earlier. I don't want more automation because it's going to take my job. As a programmer, sometimes you look and you see, they've got this library, they've got these objects. Is is my job in the future just going to be tying these things together? But once you understand the power and the flexibility of what's there and how to tie things together and configure them, it's, it's a very powerful tool. The next round of our interviews coming up right after a word from our sponsor. If you're in the industrial automation world, then you know ISA, the International Society of Automation, but you might not know about their upcoming Black Friday week sale. As a nonprofit professional association of engineers, technicians, and management engaged in industrial automation, ISA is one of the best societies out there if you're looking for direction in industry standards or training courses for technicians, engineering, cybersecurity, certifications, you name it. And if you go to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash blackfriday23 for midnight on November 20th through November 27th, 2023, You'll be able to save big on books, standards, training courses, and ISA merchandise. As the globally trusted provider of foundational standards-based technical resources for our industry, ISA strives to build a better world through automation. Again, don't miss out on Black Friday week deals from November 20th through 27th by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash blackfriday23. And now, back to today's episode. I want to get your take on maybe some of the broader manufacturing here in the Louisville area of Kentucky as well. Because we're really exploring what manufacturing means to Louisville. And Mm -hmm. bourbon is a huge part of that. But for someone that's maybe just learning about this area for the first time, I mean, what are some of the industries that really stick out that also characterize this? Because it's not just bourbon that's coming out of Louisville, Kentucky. Mm -hmm. No, you you drive around just Kentucky in general, I know... I'm best at, was in Rockville for a little bit when I first moved to Louisville and then I was on my own and I spent time on tugboats. People don't really realize, you know, the, the tugboat industry uh, centered out of Paducah, you know, what is actually involved. You, you see those going up and down the river. You don't think about it a whole lot, mm-hmm. but it's, it's a floating factory. There's so much going on out there. Automotives, mm-hmm. um, the EV plant that's going in down around Elizabethtown, but 
you've got the Ford plants, you've got Toyota, you know, you got the, the big guys, but you've also got a lot of supporting manufacturer that goes along with them. Uh, glass manufacturing, I'm trying to think of. There's, you know, it's uh, UPS. Sausage. UPS is yeah, a just leader in town, and it's the their universal international hub is here yeah. in Louisville, and mm-hmm. and so a lot of uh, uh, industry floats around it. So they've got a lot of uh, storage warehouses. They do as uh, third party fulfillment centers for mm-hmm. for different folks. Mm-hmm. Um, Amazon's pretty heavy in the area. Yeah. They're putting another uh, facility just up the road in Cincinnati, and so. I mean, we see a ton out of uh, material handling in this market. Yeah, material. I would say, you know, a lot of, for a while, if you mentioned systems integrator in Louisville, most people thought of material handling. Yeah. You know, that's that's what most of the, the bigger names that you would hear of. Then there's, this guy does this, this guy does that, this guy does that. But Yeah, so I'm hearing you got logistics, material handling. Tugboats was new. Yeah. Bourbon, <laughs> automotive. I mean, it is it is a manufacturing powerhouse here. And this one's a little bit of a fun question. There's some people that are just getting to know Louisville for the first time. We know the Derby, like that's mm-hmm. here, but what else characterizes this as just a great town? Oh, wow. There's got a ton of music festivals. I've yes, never been to a place that has, right. I mean, there's probably at least one every weekend, if not every other weekend, at the worst case. there, There's, I mean, just so much of it. Mm-hmm. I'm just really surprised by that. Louisville in general, it's... It's it's diverse. Mm-hmm. It is very diverse because a lot of people move to Louisville for work. So you you've got you can usually tell really quick about someone who's lived in Louisville for a long time and someone who's new to it because they'll say, "What school did you go to?" You know, and mm-hmm. you'll say, "U of L, UK." Is that guy? You're not from here. Yeah, no, but they'll or even how you pronounce that, or even how you pronounce it. Louisville. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I first came over, they were trying to help me yeah. learn how to say it. So. It's a Louisville, Louisville. Yeah. I've heard a couple of variations just in the short time we've been down here this yeah. week. So from what I I have been told, you just have to let it fall out of your mouth. It's like well, Yeah. That's, that's a good way to describe it. Let it fall out I, of your mouth. Yeah. I'm sure somebody will correct me, but Well, but, you know, the <laughs> bourbon culture is obviously huge here, but you're right. Indie rock, it's become a pretty well known scene for that with bands like My Morning Jacket that are on the national radar. So it's a cool town. I love coming here. Last thing I want to talk about in this conversation is partnerships and kind of how Opus Integration came to be, because you are two very dynamic individuals. Scott, from what I understand, you're more of a fly by the seat of your pants type guy. And Does that make you're, you're, Oh, yeah. Paul's <laughs> back there last <laughs> Yeah, there's the, the, the audience in the room is getting a kick out of this. And, and yeah. Don, you've got more of the details. You do process. Scott, you do discrete. So... Mm-hmm. Bring a lot of different strengths to the table. I want to ask this. When you created Opus Integration, did you know this going in when you guys were becoming co-founders of this oh, company? Yeah. 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 And, and that's part of what makes this work mm-hmm. is, yeah. is the fact that, you know, things that I struggle with, he's good at, vice versa. And just the, the way we balance, you know, Christina says it all the time, you know, that we, we balance each other out mm-hmm. quite a bit. And the fun thing for us has been with the younger guys coming in, you know, now we're like, okay, I'm going to be able to teach you the discrete, the safety, the motion, the robotics. Don's going to be able to, to teach you the, the process side. And he's still trying to talk me into being a process guy. And mm-hmm. That's hoping to retire before that happens. But okay. <laughs> Don, I'd like to get your take on this answer. Like what, what makes a great partnership, right? Scott really nailed it. It's, it's kind of our diversity. Uh, you know, his strengths are my weaknesses. My strengths are his weaknesses. Um, you know, we're all the time balancing um, 
or balance, balance, bouncing ideas off each other. <laughs> oh my gosh, can't talk. It's like, that'd be awesome. Believe in the bourbon. Um, it's that Purdue education. <laughs> oh, there we go. Yeah. The shot's fired. Shot's fired. <laughs> hey, Muhammad Ali's here. We got a box. Yeah, this year. Why not? <laughs> but uh, it really is kind of that balance of, of different exposures and different experiences. Um, it's really odd. I, I've known Scott for a long time or knew of Scott for a long time before we had actually came together on a, a partnership. And, you know, it's it's always kind of been that, hey, uh, one, two, and we're always back and forth on different things. And I couldn't ask for a better partner. I really, you Same know, here. I could search the Same whole here. automation industry and, there, and there's not a better partner to be found. Well, I like I like the balance here because I love the compliments. I love the accolades. I love that you also threw the gloves off a little bit in the Purdue <laughs> comment there. So we're, we're going to stay on that train here, right? At the end. We're going to have some fun. You each gave a, a question to me for me to ask in this conversation. So, right, Scott, the first question is for you. Don wanted me to ask, Scott, how well do you document code? <laughs> okay, let's get something straight with that. The, this is where I have come to leverage the tools that are given to me within Logix. Logix will self-document. So there's really no reason for me to embellish. Yeah. You know, a guy gets into a program at 3 a.m. in the morning. He doesn't want to read a novel. He just wants to know, I need to turn that bit on. So the code will document itself. <laughs> so 40 bit or 40 character long. Uh, uh, <laughs> hey, whatever is register. Whatever it awesome. takes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, Don, Scott had a question for you as well. So the question is, Don, are you Netgear certified? <laughs> I feel like I need some backstory here as well. Let's get a story here to wrap this conversation. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Scott knows my hot buttons are a couple different terms uh, in, yeah, if, in the world. If you, can, if, if you can manage to work in plant packs oh, yeah. In, yeah. into the conversation, um, hub. Mm-hmm. I was trying to think of what, what the other one. Oh, those are the two main ones. Those are the two main ones. I, I work those in, and then I've I've made sure and let everybody know. You know, anybody that calls on our account, kudos if you can work those into a conversation of, of some sort. Yeah. So it, so the big uh, thing is, uh, you know, network switch versus a network hub. He, yes. he loves to insert that in and just kind of jab me a little bit, and, and he knows it's my OCD won't allow for him to to, to pass those terms off as being synonymous. It's, uh, it's clear based on the dynamic here that it is a great partnership. Hearing about all the work you're doing, all the knowledge you have, I really appreciate you sharing that with our audience out here today. Last question for both of you as we finish this off is, what is your big bet for the bourbon industry over the next, I don't know, two, three, five years? So where do you see hmm. things going based on the stuff you're doing today and the things you're hearing in the future? Yeah, just based that I spent a little bit of time on the barrel side of things before, you know, in Cooperage's before... I got on the distillation side. And one thing that I'm kind of, we're hearing a little bit of mumbling and, and seeing is, you know, at some point being able to track the bourbon through the rick houses. Mm -hmm. And I, it's something that a lot of guys have talked about. Is, there's been barcoding, RFID, a lot, a lot of things talked about. But at some point getting, getting to that level where they can actually track that through and figure out just how much of it is, you know, angel chair and mm -hmm. you know, different different things, different temperatures, you know, there's a lot that they can, they can gather by trying to collect that data. So that's my bet. It definitely is, is where that industry is heading. Uh, you know, you spend three to, you know, five, seven, 12 years in actually in the warehouse. And so knowing what the temperatures are at the various different levels within the building and where it gets stored and being able to contrast that. I mean, this is really where the data scientists are, are getting in and just getting their hands dirty to really kind of understand what that means. And everybody approaches a little bit differently. 
you know, you've got some that are, you know, these cold, dank brick structures and others that are, you know, more wooden. There's some distilleries that play music to their their barrels, you know. Really? Was the, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, everybody's kind of looking for, you know, what, what, different, what differentiates, you know, a good barrel to a great barrel, mm-hmm. a, a finished product. And, and I think a lot of uh, opportunity now that uh, we've got some of the tools to be able to go through and, and do that analysis has really got to take that industry to the next level. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to see what happens and I'm excited to see you two continue to be a part of it. With that, just want to do one more cheers. And thank you for being on Manufacturing Happy Hour. Thank you very much. Thanks for the opportunity. Cheers. Thanks for listening. And I got to say, in addition to Don and Scott, I want to give a big thank you to Heaven Hill for the distillery tour the morning before this interview. I'll say it again soon, but if you want to follow this Made Here City series as we continue to release content, make sure you're visiting manufacturinghappyhour.com ISN to follow along as our tour of Louisville continues. Also, the show notes page, manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 162. There you can find links to Opus Integration, Heaven Hill Distillery, and of course, Watch Hill Proper, where we did this interview. You know, there are a few takeaways I want to highlight on my end. First, I enjoyed hearing how Don and Scott agreed on the importance of talking to both the executive level, the plant floor, data scientists, all of these stakeholders. They covered ITOT convergence, and a big part I heard as to why Don is so effective at this is being able to speak the language of IT. So if you're a manufacturer, learn how to speak to IT. Also, integrators are educators, showing manufacturers like Heaven Hill the value of automation, but also demonstrating best practices in programming, code development, device selection. If you're a manufacturer that's working with an integrator, These are base level questions you should be asking these folks that are leading and performing that integration work. One last thing related to something that Scott mentioned in the middle of the interview. This is a little takeaway on my end. It's a little formula. So here it goes. When you have A, the right devices, and B, the programming is done well, this helps contribute to C, data richness, and then guys at the distillery like Josh don't see automation as a threat, but rather something that makes their job easier. So those were just my takeaways. Would love to hear your takeaways. Feel free to share a link to this episode on LinkedIn, on social media, with your biggest takeaway from this conversation. One last thing before we wrap up. Thank you again to the Industrial Solutions Network for making these episodes possible. If you don't know the Industrial Solutions Network, definitely get to know them. They are your local manufacturing technology company, and they help provide the best collective information, technology, and services for manufacturers. They're part of Consolidated Electrical Distributors, CED, so definitely learn more about these folks and where they can help you out in the U.S. markets that they serve. Anyway, we got more coming up next week. Stay innovative, stay thirsty. We'll catch you again real soon. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.